Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc at isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. Now, you may not know this, but 20%, some research has shown that 20% of people have the learning disability dyslexia. If you don't know what dyslexia is, dyslexia basically is the reversing or reordering of information, whether that's the processing of information or the producing of information. If you think of processing information, that would be like reading or even hearing. When you process information, sometimes you reorder it, you reverse it. It's hard to put things in sequence. It also happens when you try to produce information. If you think of like a, a text message or writing something or putting numbers on a page. And so oftentimes what happens is people will reverse the order of things, okay? So research shows that 2% of people have that. First service didn't catch either. I started with 20%. There you go. Okay. I said 2%. So I have dyslexia. I learned that I have dyslexia when I was in elementary school. And, and having dyslexia can be really frustrating at times and really embarrassing at times. Like, you know, to give you an example, when when I was young and I was trying to learn my left from my right, one of my family members said, Paul, it's really, really easy. I have a simple strategy for you. You could get it. I'm like, okay, great, because this is really important, you know, for me to know my left from my right. And said, well, Paul, all you have to do is put out your hands and stick out your thumbs and put every finger down besides your pointer finger. Okay, Paul, which one makes the L? Both. Like, that was my response. Are they different? <laughs> like, you know, I'm like voguing, <laughs> like... I don't know. Uh, so you, you'd be surprised if, when I was learning to drive how many uh, interesting destinations we would go to uh, because I would move right and when I should have moved left, move left when I should have moved right. So sometimes having dyslexia is a little frustrating. In fact, many in this room, you may have dyslexia. In fact, if you're brave enough, if, if, if you have dyslexia, go ahead and raise your right hand. Perfect. Everybody who raised their left hand really has dyslexia and all the ones with their right hands are liars. You're in church. Don't lie, okay? <laughs> no, but dyslexia can be frustrating. It also can be embarrassing, okay? I'll I give you an example of this. Our, our, our two big kids, uh, Allie and Paxson, uh, my daughter and my oldest son, uh, they had to do homeschool. Uh, during COVID, we just felt like it was the best way for our kids to learn in the area that they were in at the time. And as people were making adjustments, we felt like this was 
This was the best thing for us to do and for our kids. And so they're having to totally just readjust to mommy and daddy kind of being their teachers. And uh, so as we're doing that, we're taking on uh, the topic of spelling. And as we're working through that, it was pretty challenging. And the, the curriculum we chose, we didn't know this, but it's a very challenging curriculum. And so my son Paxton was kind of getting a little frustrated. He was in the fourth grade at the time. So I thought, you know, I'm going to step in as a good dad. I'm going to encourage him. And so I said, all right, Paxton, here's what we're going to do. You do your words, you study, and at the end of the week, daddy will get the words, and we'll see who can spell more of them right. Well, I knew what was going to happen. I knew he was going to beat me, but then he started beating me, like every week. A fourth grader started beating me at spelling. Now, you may think, wow, your son is brilliant, or... Like, daddy's just really dyslexic, which was the case. And I remember after like the third or fourth time of being pummeled by his spelling accuracy, it was really kind of embarrassing that this fourth grader was just destroying me. It felt like he became my teacher. No, dad, it's this. Oh, thanks, son. Right? So dyslexia can be embarrassing and it can be difficult, can be frustrating. But there's another form of dyslexia that I think is more than just frustrating, more than just embarrassing, I think it's incredibly dangerous. And the form of dyslexia I'm talking about is theological dyslexia. And here's what I mean by that. Theological dyslexia is when we reorder or we reverse something in the story of God. See, the, the story of humanity, the story of God, can really be divided into three parts. You can divide it into more, but for the sake of today, we'll just divide it into three parts. You can divide those parts by the comings of Christ. So the first coming of Christ, right, that's Christmas. Everything before that is Old Testament, thousands of years this way, right? That's the first part. Then Christ comes, right? And then you have a very definitive mark. Uh, We call everything before Christ, before the common era, BCE, right? And then everything after is now the common era that we're in right now. So our Western calendars are even divided by that. They acknowledge that. We're in part two, which is after Christmas, after the first coming of Christ, all the way to the second coming of Christ. That's the spot we're in right now. That's part two. Part three is when Christ comes again and everything after which stretches into eternity. That's part three. Here's what dyslexic theology is. Dyslexic theology is when we take something from part three and we pull it over or reorder it and put it into part two. And this is incredibly dangerous. Incredibly dangerous to your faith. Incredibly dangerous to your endurance and walking the Christian life. And here's what I think is happening. Part three is described, I mean, it's in an amazing way. There's comfort, there's communion with God, there's peace. Every broken heart is mended. Every tear is wiped away. All the innocent are vindicated. The guilty are punished. All of these things are happening. The world is made right. And we have a new heavens and new earth where we're in communion with God forever. It's amazing. But the comfort of part three sometimes is being pulled into part two. Because the dominant theme of part two, and this is what we're going to see in our service today, as we walk through Daniel and some other passages in the New Testament, part two is not marked by comfort for the Christian. That's part three. Part two, the dominant theme is suffering is opposition, is persecution. And what happens is, is when we reorder, we reverse, we're not just making the wrong turn or being embarrassed by our fourth grader. We set this expectation 
And because we have this expectation or can have this expectation that I should experience comfort, ease, and peace in my life as I follow Jesus Christ in part two, if we have that expectation, when persecution comes, we're surprised by it. And when our expectation is wrong, our endurance is low. Just ask yourself, in this life, as you live the Christian life, if you're a committed follower of Jesus Christ, what are you surprised at more? Suffering or comfort? Are you surprised more at suffering or at comfort? Because the surprise, and we'll see this in part two, for the Christian should be comfort. Wait, this is going well. When really the surprise that we should have is comfort because what's expected is suffering. When things are going well, we think, wow, this is not what I expected. What's going to happen in Daniel chapter 11, and he's going to describe really all of part two from his time all the way to the end of time. And his description is the dominant theme of his description is not going to be comfort and ease and peace and prosperity for the people of God. It's going to be suffering. And we're going to see that Jesus describes it this way. The apostle Paul describes it this way. And we need to start living with that expectation because if we expect something different, our endurance will suffer. Let me show you this. Go to Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. The big idea for today, if you're going to write down one thing, I want you to write this down. The big idea for today is this. Dyslexic theology is dangerous. Dyslexic theology is dangerous. So let me show you in this, in Daniel chapter 11. And we're going to wade through this. This is going to be somewhat difficult and somewhat heavy. But I want to make this point very, very clear. That as Daniel, this wonderful prophet of God, and then Jesus Christ, who's God incarnate, and then one of his first century followers, Paul, make it very clear that part two is not going to be easy if you want to follow Jesus. Part three is going to be legit. Part three is going to be a part T. Yeah, that didn't hit first service either, so that's fine. You're like, the jokes aren't good. It's part of my dyslexia, okay? Don't. Thank you so much. I appreciate I'm glad you sit in the front row because I can hear your laughter. All right, let's jump to Daniel chapter 11. And what Daniel's going to do, and Daniel 11 is a crazy chapter. I mean, if you really want to jump into a rabbit trail of a lot of different things, Daniel 11 basically summarizes all of part two from his time to the end of time. And so he's going to talk about a lot of military leaders. He's going to talk about a lot of military conflicts. In fact, just in the first 35 verses of Daniel chapter 11, there are 135 prophecies, which can be corroborated with history. Now, I'm not going to run through all of those, but if you want to jump on that rabbit trail, you do it. Let me tell you, it's pretty fun. He's going to describe the fall of the Persian Empire. He's going to describe the, the rise of the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great. He's going to speak, give significant time to Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who led the Seleucid Empire and was fighting against the Jewish people in 2nd century BC. There's a lot of really, really cool stuff in there. But I want to just pick out and show to you that as he's describing human history develop, what he's going to strive is that the people of God at sometimes are collateral damage and at other times they're targeted. And as we grow in Daniel 11, what you'll see is that these military leaders, these worldly leaders are going to target the people of God more and they're not going to tolerate their religion anymore. So let's just start with verse 16. Let's see one of these conflicts. It says in verse 16, the king of the north will march onward unoppressed or unopposed. None will be able to stop him. He will pause, so he's already on this like in a military campaign. He will pause in the glorious land of Israel, intent on 
destroying it. So at this point, the people of God seem like an afterthought, right? They're kind of collateral damage to this king who is going after a king of the south, an unnamed king. Now, he's, his plan isn't going to work out, but another leader is going to rise up. And based on what's been described here and the historical elements were given, most scholars agree that this is Antiochus Epiphanes IV, the leader of the Seleucid Empire. And this is describing his conflict with the Jews in 2nd century BC, which is kind of crazy because Daniel wrote this hundreds of years before those events happened. Again, if you want to nerd out on that, be my guest. It's super fun. But let's jump to that. We get a king who kind of is thinking about hurting God's people and is not able to do it. But then we get another king. And look at what he does. Verse 26. Verse 26 reads this way. Sorry. Daniel 11. Yeah. Verse. Did I say 26? I meant 28. It says, The king of the north will then return home with great riches. And on the way he will set himself against the people of God of the holy covenant. Doing much damage before continuing his journey. So he's going to hit him kind of on his way. And then at the appointed time. He will once again invade the south. So now he's going to go down. But this time, the result will be different. For warships from the western coastlands will scare him off, and he will withdraw and return home. So now he's kind of upset. He kind of hit the people of God on the way in, went past them, got defeated. Now he's coming back. But he will vent his anger against the people of the holy covenant and reward those who forsake the covenant. I know this is really hard to read on the screen up here. That's totally my fault in arranging the verses. So just listen to my very smooth and soothing voice. Maybe close your eyes and your mind's eye. Try to, try to piece it together. Okay, let's, let's continue on. We're in verse 28. For the worship, or no. Thir- maybe you should preach. Okay, verse 31. His army will take over the temple. This is exactly what Antiochus Epiphanes IV did. It's crazy description here. His army will take over the temple fortress, pollute the sanctuary, put a stop to the daily sacrifices, and set up the sacrilegious object that causes desecration. This is exactly what he did. Notice, what does Antiochus want to do? He doesn't want to just beat the people of God. He wants to destroy their religion. That's exactly what he's doing. It says he will flatter and win over those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will be strong and resist him. Wise leaders will give instruction to many, but those teachers will die by fire and by sword. Or they will be jailed and robbed. During this persecution, little help will arrive and many who join them will not be sincere. Some of the wise will fall victim to persecution. And in this way, they will be refined and cleansed and made pure until the time of the end. For the appointed time is still to come. What's happening? The people of God are more specific, more specifically being targeted, and their religion is not being tolerated. We have a growing conflict for the people of God. And it's going to get worse. I mean, that already sounded pretty bad, but then it gets worse. In verse 36, we get a change. Now, what's confusing is this, is from verse 36 all the way to chapter 12, the beginning of chapter 12, the the description of this leader doesn't match Antiochus and Epiphanes anymore. And so sometimes people have said, well, wait a second, everything seems pretty accurate, but then you get to this point and these details don't match his life, so maybe they're wrong. Here's what I think is actually happening here, okay? Now, we're going to nerd out a little bit. I hope you're okay to put on your thinking cap, but we're going to nerd out a little bit because what's happening here is something that happens in biblical prophecy, whether Old Testament or New Testament, okay? I want you to think of a telescope, 
Okay? Pretend you are looking at two mountains and you had your telescope, you pulled it out. Boop, 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 boop. That's exactly the sound a telescope makes. Boop, 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 boop. That's each of the things. Okay, cool. So boop, 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 boop. I'm still going to do it if you laugh or not. Boop, 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 boop. Okay, so you look out at this mountain and say you see two mountains. Now, if you use your telescope, you're going to look and you're going to see, wow, the mountains are really clear. I can see this. I can see the trees. I can see uh, where the snowpack is. I can see all this stuff. But if you're looking at two mountains, it may be hard for you to see if these mountains are more separate from each other. Maybe they're a part of two different ranges and not one range. You're almost going to see these two mountains maybe as kind of one mountain range. This is what happens oftentimes in biblical prophecy is there's a telescoping of future events. Meaning two events or two persons are going to be seen, but they're kind of described as one because it's hard to tell the difference between the two. Let me give you a, a primary example in the New Testament. Jesus Christ's arrival. If you go all the way to the Old Testament and you look at all the promises about Messiah, right? About this hero that would come, the Christ. God's hero would come and help his people. You see these descriptions kind of like two mountains come up, two themes come up. One is a conquering king, and the other is a suffering servant. Now that's hard to understand. How can these be one mountain? Conquering king and suffering servant. Well, in the Old Testament, again, they're telescoping. They're seeing these things clearly, but they can't see the distance between these two things. Now we know later when Jesus comes and he starts teaching, when his first century followers start teaching, we realize, no, it's talking about two comings of Christ. The first coming, that's the suffering servant. He dies on the cross and he rises again. And when he comes the second time, then he comes as that conquering king. You see what's happening there? It's the same thing I think it's happening in Daniel chapter 11. We have remarkable historical accuracy. Remarkable. But then things start to change. And it's almost like Daniel is seeing a different leader. He's not seeing Antiochus anymore. He's seeing the Antichrist. The ultimate enemy of God at the end of the age. And look at this guy. Antiochus sound bad. That other king sound bad. This dude is bad. Right? J jump to uh, verse 26. Look at the, how this king is going to show himself. Verse 36. The king will do as he pleases. Exalting himself and claiming to be greater than every God. He doesn't want to just target the people of God. He's not just trying to destroy their religion. He's trying to make himself the head of a religion. Make himself out to be God. Even blaspheming the God of gods. He will succeed, but only until the time of wrath is completed. Now let's fast forward, jump all the way to chapter 12. Look at what's described as what this guy can do. The conflict he brings, the pain he brings. This is Daniel 12.1. At that time, Michael the archangel, who stands guard over your nation, will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. And think of that for a moment. This Antichrist, who looks like Antiochus, but beyond that we see he's somebody else, but he's very much like him. He will bring about a time of pain that eclipses every other time of pain in human history. Now think of what you just know of Western history. Think of all the experience of human history and think about the times of pain and the times of suffering and the times of oppression. This guy will eclipse all of those. He'll eclipse Hitler. He'll eclipse Stalin. He'll eclipse all of these guys. 
This is a bad, bad, bad time. Do you see what's happening as Daniel is describing all of part two from, the, from really his time past the second or first coming all the way to the end of the second coming? He said, man, this whole timeline, you know what's happening for the church? It's getting harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. Their first interaction with that king, they were kind of collateral damage to his rage. Then they became targeted and then they'll, they'll try to be exterminated. What should we expect? Daniel's description of all of human history and how he's encompassing, if you come up all the way to our time, to his time, right, that gap is 2,600 years. He's saying in 2,600 years, the church, the church dominant theme, the people of God, the dominant theme of their experience will not be peace. It'll be conflict. And this is exactly what Jesus prepared us for too. Jesus saw the same thing. We could say when we look at Daniel, okay, well, Daniel is summarizing really his time all the way to our time and beyond. Maybe he just skipped out that there's, hey, these nice seasons of comfort and ease. Maybe he's just missing some big gaps. But when we look at the teaching of Jesus, when we look at the teaching of Paul, we realize, no, they wanted us to anticipate the same thing. Look at this in John chapter 15. Jesus speaking to his first century followers. Look at how Jesus sets the expectation. And think of this in light of what we just read in Daniel. Look what Jesus says, John 15. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of this world so it hates you. Wow, that's significant. What is Jesus saying there? If you think Christianity is going to make you popular, you need to rethink that. Right, if you're, like, if you're curious about Jesus and you're just going to church, you say, Paul, I just want to explore Christianity. I want you to know this is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And I know I went to church for weeks and months because I was just so curious about Christianity before I ever decided to commit to Christianity. So if that's you and you're here, this is a safe place for you. But you need to hear from me. I'm not going to try to sell you on Jesus. I'm not going to be a slick car salesman and try to make that commitment to following Jesus easy for you. I'll be honest with you up front. Because here's what I know. If you start following Jesus, you're going to start reading this book. And if you start reading this book, you're going to get to verses like this. And you're going to realize, hold on, pastor. I kind of like the idea of prosperity. I like the idea of living my best life now. Now I'm reading it. It says my best life is later. And not now. I just got gypped. I don't want, I don't want you to get gypped. Listen to me. Hear me out. If you decide to follow Jesus, you take that step of commitment. Don't think the world's going to applaud that. Don't expect to be popular. Here's where our expectation should be. You should be surprised by applause because your expectation is you may be hated for this. Look at this, another verse. Uh, This is Mark chapter 10. Peter is talking to Jesus and Peter says to Jesus, hey, you know, Jesus, we've sacrificed a lot. And then Jesus is gonna say, yeah, but you're gonna be rewarded, Peter. Things are gonna be good. But notice how Jesus couches this blessing of what we receive when we follow Jesus. He couches it in what? Persecution. Look at this. This is is a promise of two things. A promise of great community, but also promise for pain. This is Mark chapter 10. It said, then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Jesus says, yes, Jesus replied. 
And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brother, sister or mother, father or children, property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return. Listen to that. Now in return. This is a promise for now in part two. In return, a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property. Now stop right there. Don't take this as like a pyramid scheme for real estate investment. Wait, I follow Jesus, I get a hundred houses? That's legit, right? That's the way to go. What is Jesus talking about here? Here's what I think Jesus is talking about here. I don't think Jesus is, again, talking about real estate or land ownership or anything like that. That's not what he's doing. He's not buying houses for cash, flipping them. That's not what Jesus is doing. Here's what I think Jesus is describing. Jesus knows what Peter Peter sacrificed and what his followers sacrificed. They sacrificed family to follow him. Brothers and sisters, you lost your home, your community, your family. And what he's saying is, you're going to get that back, man. You're going to get this abundant, robust community. And you know what that is? You know what he's talking about? You. He's talking about us. He's talking about the church. Here's the blessing of following Jesus Christ. You get us. You're like, can I get a return on that? (laughs) But this is what Jesus is saying. If you follow me, I'm going to put you together with a bunch of people and you'll never suffer alone. And you'll never succeed alone. This is why why you should get in a small group right here. Because this is the promised reward of Jesus Christ. You need community. And honestly, I love what we do here on Sunday morning. I love what we provide in a service. But if I'm honest with you, this promise right here is capitalized in a small group. Because your faith is not going to grow if you're sitting in lines all the time. You need to sit in a circle where you can look somebody else in the eye and you say, man, here's where I'm at. My life's a mess. Or somebody could come to you, man, my life's a mess. Can you help me? And you say, yes. You put our shoulders together and they're broad enough for our burdens. We stand alone and we get crushed by those burdens. Jesus promised you each other. And that's a great blessing. I'll tell you what, that is a great blessing. I've, I've lost some family in following Jesus. But I've gained a family. And I love my family. And it's a great family. It's a great place. But look, what does Jesus couch this in? You're going to get the church and get the community. Sounds all good until we finish the sentence, right? You're going to get brothers and sisters and mothers and children and property along with persecution. What is he saying? Part two is going to be hard. The dominant theme is you'll get the church, but you're going to get persecution. And then, now he talks about part three, and in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Now he's saying part three. That's the comfort. That's the ease. That's the prosperity. That's the good time. Right now is the hard time, but you'll suffer, but you'll do it together. The Apostle Paul, one of the first century followers of Jesus Christ, saw the resurrected Jesus Christ and was commissioned by the resurrected Christ to go out and spread the gospel. And this guy was dynamic. He pinned through the Holy Spirit some of the New Testament letters and he was the primary church planner in the first century world. The world is different because this man, and this man was talking to a young pastor named Timothy and he wanted to tell Timothy, hey, you know, it's been hard for me, Timothy, let me prepare you and everybody you're gonna speak to about what this part two looks like. And look what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says the same thing that Daniel described and the same thing that Jesus described. Look what he says, 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, you know how much persecution and suffering I've endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone. Say that. Say everyone. 
everyone. Who does that include? Everyone, right? He doesn't say some. He says everyone. This is hard because then we realize everything described in Daniel 11, he wasn't missing pieces of history. He was showing us the major theme of history for that second part for the follower of Christ. He wasn't just picking out times and seasons of suffering. He was seeing the whole landscape of it all. And Paul sees the same exact thing. He says, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. Well, then who prospers in part two? He explains that too. Verse 13, but evil people and imposters will flourish and they will deceive others and they themselves be deceived. What should we be surprised by? Comfort or suffering? In part two, we should be surprised by comfort because we are promised suffering. 2,600 years ago, Daniel looked in the future and all he saw was suffering. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, Paul, 2,000 years ago, say, hey, buddy, the world is going to hate you guys. I'm sorry about that. You're going to receive some blessing, but it'll be in the context of persecution. Paul said, you want to live a godly life? It's going to be hard. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't get small little moments and blips of comfort and peace. And that's great. I think that's awesome. But the dominant theme is what? In this age, the dominant experience for American Christianity or for Christianity will be persecution. And that has been true. Do you know Christianity is the most persecuted religion in all the world? You know, 70 million people have been martyred for their faith in Christianity since the time of Jesus Christ. 70 million people. Wow. All of that, we've seen it. Part three is where we get comfort, peace, prosperity, and communion. And part three is incredible. Our expectations should be sky High, right? Go back to Daniel chapter 12, just so we can see that, because I don't want to, I want to end us with a little bit of hope here, okay? I know you're like, man, I'm down. (laughs) I hope we sing a happy song at the end of this service. Jeez. All right, okay, but it's coming. Look at this, because there is a part three. Daniel chapter 12. At the time Michael, the archangel, will stand against, or stand guard over your nation, will arise. There will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, Every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. (laughs) What does that mean? What he's talking about there, so the idea of a book being written, this is the idea in the ancient world where cities would keep a record of all their citizens. And if somebody was kicked out, say for some crime or something like that, their name would be marked out of that book. So if they try to come back in, re-enter into that community, they would look up the name and say, "Uh, Paul, you're out. That was the idea. And what he's saying here is everybody whose name is in God's book gets rescued, okay? Which is awesome, but look at the next verse because it defines what rescue is. Rescue doesn't mean protection from pain, right? Look at this. He says, many of those, or sorry, let's read verse, last part of verse one. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in your book will be rescued. Woohoo! Verse two, many of those who bodies lay dead and buried will, wait, hold on. 
We get rescued, but they're already dead? That imagery doesn't seem to fit. You ever seen David Hasselhoff, Baywatch, Red Shorts, kind of looks like me? (laughs) You're not supposed to laugh at that one. Jeez Louise. Sit in the back if you're going to laugh at that one. (laughs) Right? With his like, you know, buoy? What is that? The red thing. I don't know. Life preserver? I, I I was looking more at his face than the buoy thing, right? So he's, re- you ever seen David Hasselhoff in his red shorts with his life thingy? Preserver? I don't know what that is, right? You ever seen him run through a cemetery? I got you. You ever seen that? No. Why? They're past rescue, buddy. Right? The, the, the time for that response is ended, right? It's like getting in a car crash and then honking your horn. What? Uh, it's too late. Right? That response is too late. How can you get rescued when you're already dead? Resurrection. Because that's what he's saving us from. Not pain. Not physical death. But the second death. The death of the soul. Right? Look at how he describes this. So those bodies lay dead, buried, will rise up. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Verse 3, those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. I don't know what that means, but that sounds really cool. Right? You'll just be this bright, shining person. You'll look like your 17-year-old daughter's phone right, all bedazzled and jeweled up and everything. Like, I don't know what that means, but it's glorious and it's beautiful. And that, our expectation of act three, of part three, is sky high. But we have the right expectation for part two, which is what? This is when we suffer. I have to be honest with you. Okay, I, I, I truly believe that we have some dyslexic theology, which is really dangerous. I've seen it, and I know I've felt it too. I think the story of Christianity in America has been a good one, but I think things are changing. I, you know, I think you know, a nation founded with, with the, the religious liberty, the freedom of religious expression has allowed Christians really uh, to, to live out their conviction in the public sphere, and I think that's great. And because of that, we've experienced really, I mean, if you look at the history of, of American Christianity, it's a small blip of the story of the church, of course, right? But in this small blip, it's, it's been a time of comfort, relative ease. There's been pockets of, of opposition in those things, but really, it's been easier, especially compared to our brothers and sisters in other countries. Who are being, the church is being more persecuted now than it ever has before. Just in America, we're experiencing something a little different. But I think what we're starting to see in the last couple decades, and I would say in the last couple years, we're moving from this allowance to this stage of kind of like annoyance to now a stage of like antagonism. And I think we should grieve that. I think we should mourn that. I think we should grieve the idea, man, this is a bummer. We should lament that Christian virtues and Christian convictions are are not being tolerated. Because really, God's design is the key to human flourishing. And the more we move away from that, the the less we flourish. And and, and we want to flourish as a society, but God's design is how you flourish. And the more we move away from that, we will not experience liberty but death. 
And really, it was, we, we kind of had a seat at the table. We were able to talk and communicate. But now our microphone volume is kind of being turned down, and we're told that you can't talk like that. And now we're being told, if you talk like that, that's oppressive. If you talk like that, that's hateful. If you talk like that, then you're an enemy. If you talk like that, you're intolerant. So you're intolerant to what you think is intolerance? Okay, that's confusing. I thought a dyslexia was hard. What does that mean? But here's the thing. We should be grieved by that. That should sadden our hearts. We should weep. We should mourn. But listen to me. We should not be surprised. We should not be surprised. Because if we're surprised, I don't know if we'll endure. If our expectation is easy, if our expectation is comfort, if our expectation is prosperity, if our expectation is applause, if our expectation is approval, when suffering comes, you're going to be shipwrecked. You're thinking to myself, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not the good life I was promised. This is not the easy life. This is not the abundant life. This is not the blessed life. This is not the prosperous life. My job is harder to do. Being a good neighbor is harder to do. I'm finding myself constantly just under this level of kind of conflict. And see, here's what's going to happen. If we're expecting comfort, ease, and that's the outcome that we have in mind for ourselves as we follow Jesus Christ, here's what we'll think. When we experience suffering, we'll say, well, maybe I'm following the wrong thing. Maybe I need to adjust this. Well, that's not good. In fact, Daniel chapter 11, he talked about that. Antiochus Epiphanes would flatter those and persuade those and reward those who forsake the covenant. Here, this is an easier sell. Take this. Get rid of this book. Take, take this edited version. It'll be easier for you. That's not a promise. That's a death sentence there. So here's my question to you. As a follower of Jesus Christ, what are you surprised by? Comfort or suffering? That's a hard question. And if I'm honest, I expect it to be easy. But then I start interacting with some of our missionaries. I'll tell you what, man. Then I'm like, man, I'm a pansy. Those dudes are legit. Those dudes are legit. I complain, oh, I'm on the West Coast. Nobody loves Jesus out here. The percentage is so high. Like a fraction of the percentage of, of people that are, are, are open to Jesus Christ. And the other large majority would seek to destroy it. That's what they're dealing with. Man. I need to endure better. I need to reset my expectation. What are you surprised by? Comfort or suffering? We should be surprised when it's comfortable. We should expect suffering. So when it happens, we say to ourselves, okay, I can endure. And part three, that's going to be the good part. Christian, I don't want you to be surprised by the suffering you experience in part two. Now hear me out. There's another surprise. Daniel talked about it. Do you see it in verse 2? Some will resurrect to everlasting shame and disgrace. Jesus talks about a surprise. Right at the end of part 2, the beginning of part 3, Jesus describes a time where there'll be a resurrection, just like Daniel described. And people will come to Jesus face to face right near him and they'll think that they're familiar with him, that they know him and they'll come up and they say, Jesus, we're very religious. We've done all these things. And then there's this moment where Jesus will look at them and maybe he looks at his book. Like Daniel talked about it and said, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know you. Depart from me. 
that sinking feeling of surprise. It's like, it's like studying for an exam and then getting to test day, realizing you studied the wrong subject. You were studying for algebra, you get to the final exam and it's world history. And you're like, what? I was not prepared for this. This would be the experience of many who thought filling their life with, with pleasure, with achievement, with property, with all of these things, that that was the way to the good life. They'll get to that day and their surprise will be at the end where none of those things will contribute to their eternal comfort. But all of those things will show that they were studying for the wrong exam. (laughs) There's only one thing that will impact your eternal comfort and that's the choice to follow Jesus Christ. And I want you, I want you to enjoy that. And again, I don't know where you are. I don't know if you just came to church because life's been a mess and you're like, whatever, I just need, I need help. I'm open to this church thing. If that's you, right? I remember being exactly right there. You need, to, you need to hear me, please. I don't want you to be surprised in the end. Now you may answer life's deepest questions differently than I do and that's okay, but please ask them because that's not a day I want you to say, well, I never explored it. Well, I never saw it or I thought I was doing the right things and now this guy is telling me that he doesn't know me. Now my creator is telling me, sorry, no, depart from me. Now the lover of my soul who gave his life for me, he's saying that I'm not one of his? What did I do? Please, I don't want you to be there. Jesus Christ loves you and gave his life for you so your sins can be forgiven. And he's not promising you an evil li- or easy life after following him. He's not. But he's promising you eternal life. And freedom from the greatest suffering and pain. The one that's everlasting. My hope is that you would follow him today. Church family, let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, I thank you for the joy and the hope that we have in the future. Man, part two is hard. And it's only going to get harder. Father, I want us to be able to endure. I want us to be able to make it. I want us to be captured by how, how Daniel sees his prophetic vision through all that mess, all of chapter 11 to the beginning of chapter 12. It's all a mess, war, conflict, pain, opposition, all of that stuff. But then we are rescued through resurrection to everlasting joy and we shine like the stars. Oh, Father, would you plant deeply into our hearts as followers of Jesus Christ that we would be so sure of the hope of our future, so sure of part three, that we can endure through part two and we are not surprised we will grieve as the world burns but we will not be surprised as it burns we will not be surprised when evil just eats itself when plans are made that don't cause human flourishing when the story of humanity is not progressing yeah there's human innovation but there's not human progress we're not getting better we're just getting better at being bad but we won't see that story as it goes along and say that there's no hope. We won't be surprised by the pain that comes. And we will be captured by the hope of the future. Father, make us that people who can suffer well in this season and what's coming. May you find those who are willing to endure right here at Sunrise Church. And Father, for those who don't yet know you, maybe they're curious and they're not yet committed to Jesus, Father, I pray right now that you're speaking to them in a real way. 
You're, you're, you're trying to show to them just with, 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 clear, with a clear and dynamic picture of love that you don't want them to be surprised on that final day either. You want to say to them, I know you. I know your name. You come in here. You come with me. And if that's you in this room, I want you to know, taking that step towards Jesus, it may cost you a lot, but man, it's worth it. And that step is a hard one to take, but it's simple. It's following Jesus. In fact, right now, I'm going to pray a prayer, just a small prayer here. And if you want to take that step of following Jesus today, you can pray this prayer in the silence of your own heart, just between you and God. If you mean it, my words aren't magical. They're not going to do anything. But if they come from your heart, they'll do something. If you want to take that step to Jesus for the first time, you could say something like this. Just in the silence of your own heart, between you and God, you could say, God, I see. I see that my sins are many. God, I see that I'm guilty. God, I see the only way to be forgiven is through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. I give my life over to you, Lord. I want to serve you from here on out, even if it's hard. And I can't wait to see you face to face and in person in the eternity that's coming. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.